0: Family Church, family.
1: Good to see everybody this morning. And turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to be seen. Good to be seen. Good to have you this morning. All right, hope everybody is warrior galoshes, right? Uh, I think uh, Brother Evan said when he got here, it was, it was um, Rock Lake instead of Rock Creek. Right? Yeah, Lake, Rock Creek, yeah. <laughs> uh, But we're here and it's dry in here, amen? All right, no other place I'd rather be than to be here in God's presence and with you guys. So thank you so much for being here. We love you so much. We're here for you in whatever way that we can, whatever way we can be. Thank you so much. Been praying for you through this week. I hope you've been praying for me. Um, Things are are getting busier and busier. Um, This is kind of my... Quiet before the storm. There's always a lot going, but I know when school gets going here in just a few weeks. I'm not going to say that too loud, otherwise my my kids will revolt and get mad at me and throw something at me. Um, There are tomatoes over there, right? So, uh, but it is coming up very soon. We are going to have a back to school prayer. We are going to have a very special service on August the eighth. Just so that you know and can put it on your calendar. It's just a few weeks away. Fortunately and unfortunately, and a lot of the parents said, amen, and all the kids said, oh, man, right? That's right. That's right. But uh, be praying for me, please, because I am stepping into a new role, not only continuing to pastor here, but a new role of uh, working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, working in every single one of the schools in Garland County area. Um, so i 'm going to get to be there in the trenches every day working with students and with coaches with teachers with administrators i 'll be pr- getting a, an awesome chance to pray with all of those people all the time, speaking and sowing god 's word into them so i 'm certainly going to need and covet your prayers very much, so uh, God has opened up that door for me, and I want to be just a good steward over that uh, what a What a wonderful, wonderful chance to get to do that so. Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to kind of dive in a little deeper with uh, what we had started last week. Dive in just a little deeper. And to be honest with you, I've got quite a bit of reading to do today. Are y'all okay? yeah. you all know, okay? Hopefully you came to church and you're ready to do a little reading. Some of you may need to catch up on your Bible reading today. If you're like me, sometimes you have high, high aspirations and high hopes at the beginning of the week. Yeah, I'm going to read 90 chapters this week because I love you, Lord. And then the end of the week comes and I'm like, end barely chapter 2. Okay, y'all don't do that. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me that uh, is in the same boat, if you will, as the disciples Uh, Maybe it's just me that that Jesus was talking to as well as Peter, James, and John when he asked them to come a little further with him as he goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and as he's pouring himself out in that garden and he looks back and he sees them asleep, right? I I mentioned this a little bit last week. I want to use it again, this illustration again this week too. And as he looks at them and he sees them asleep for the third time and he basically just says the truth. Hey, the spirit is willing, but the, but the flesh is weak, which means that we can't earn our way. But how many of you are so thankful for a Holy Spirit that works in our life every day, all the time? So when Jesus, I think going deeper with that, when Jesus says the flesh is is, is tired and wore out, but The flesh would like to, but needs a little help. And I'm so thankful, he said, and the Spirit is willing to do that. You realize that today? The Holy Spirit is willing to help you out today. I mean, of you're glad that he is willing to give you a hand up, he's willing to pick you up and clean you up, fill you up. He's willing here to empower you for sure, because we are definitely in just the midst of craziness every single day. Uh, every single day it gets crazier and crazier, but I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that the Lord is with us through it all. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. And I don't even want to tell you how long we're going to read. We're just going to read for a while. We may read the whole cha- We may read the whole book. Y'all all right? All right. All right. And it happened, I'm sorry, can I pause for a second? I know this is gonna be long, but can I pause for a second? Anytime I read this and I I read, and it happened, I have this Forrest Gump, you know what I'm talking about? The dialect, the the way that he talks, I've got it in my head, so it happened, (laughs) right? (laughs) It happens, doesn't it? Turn to your neighbor and say, it happens. It happens. It does. And that's what we're talking about. the the Finding the blessing in the valley. We talked about that a little bit last week. Going deeper. that Finding the blessing in the valley. And it happened after this. That the people of Moab. With the people of Ammon and others. With them besides. Hello here I am. Besides the Ammonites. Came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now that's a good name. That is a good name. Um, Jonathan, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to name him Jehoshaphat? Sure. Milo is cute, but Jehoshaphat? Sleep on your couch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> then some came and told Jehoshaphat, say, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazan. Uh, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all of the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. I have in my Bible, I wrote out, if my people who are called by my name, right, they'll humble themselves and seek my face and Turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them and I will heal their land. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes on us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple." and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now hear the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out in the land of Egypt, but they've now turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Our God, will you not judge them? We, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with even their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehoshaphat, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and your inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says to the Lord to you, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. And they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook. Before the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. But instead, position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem... Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe His prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed to those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of His holiness, and they went out before the army, and were saying, "Praise the Lord!" Is that not what we saying? For His mercy endures forever. And now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and they had come against who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and utterly, to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth, and no one had escaped." And this is where we picked up last week when we talked about that God wasn't even done with that. God allowed them with Jehoshaphat and his people to come and take away their spoil. And they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves. More than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Berachah and there they blessed the Lord therefore the name of that place was called the valley of blessing until this day then they returned every mountain of every man to Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies and so they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest all around. Now, Big one, right? But how powerful is that whole... That's why I'm sorry. At first I was like, let me just pull this out. But I couldn't. I wanted you to get the whole picture, the whole story, everything that was going on because this very much tells us a truth and a principle that says that I know you're in valleys sometimes, but you're not in it alone. And God knows how to walk you through a valley of the shadow of death and show you exactly how to make it through all of this. And God is walking with you now through whatever it is that you're going, leading you and prodding you and helping you and encouraging you. In fact, the psalmist David said, and even preparing before you a table That you may sit and eat the bread of life in the midst of something that's trying to take your life away. Have you ever felt and had to go through something so bad it literally felt like it was taking some of your life with it? And you're wondering, how can I even get any more? Have you ever been burned out? Have you ever been tired? Have you ever been full of grief? Have you ever been stricken? Have you ever had to go through such a valley of darkness that you just thought, oh man, where is life going to come from? I can't seem to find it. I can't seem to muster it up. No matter how hard I try, one minute I feel great. The next minute I feel down in the dumps again. And it's through all of that God wants you to know that the battle is his, that the battle is his and that he is with you and that there is a way to find blessing in the midst of that valley. Would you pray with me one more time? Father God, we need you. Everyone in here and especially me, we need you. God, we need you. We need You to be our breath of life. We need You to be our strength. We need You to to cover our mind when we're hearing all kinds of things, both inside and out. We need You, Lord, to flood us with peace and joy. We need Your love to to come and and cover us and like mercy and grace, cover us and be with us, Lord. We need You. We need You. We pray, O holy God, that You would take this Word God, that you would divide the darkness. Lord, let your light be spoken into our dark valleys today. Father, we thank you. And we pray, Lord, your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a three stories I'd like to tell you today, and taking a page out of one of the greatest, out of the greatest teacher that has ever lived on the face of this planet. Jesus Christ and how Jesus loved to tell stories and for the for the last nine weeks ten weeks we have been talking about those stories those parables on Wednesday night parables of the kingdom of God and how he uses stories and how he uses these object lessons these tangible things to help people understand the intangible things because that 's really important because we are much like jehoshaphat we 're you know running on cruise control, everything is fine, and we 're in our comfort zone we 're in our our niche or our groove, and isn 't it funny how a groove can be a groove or it can be a rut? <laughs> One of the two you ever been in a rut? Yeah. Okay, we get in our groove and we just kind of hit the, that cruise control button and we just kind of trying to fly through life as best as we possibly can. And like King Jehoshaphat, just minding your own business and the next thing you know somebody tells you something. Right? Somebody tells you something. And most of the time when somebody tells you something like that, it's like, oh no not good news. That's kind of one of the perks of being a pastor whenever your phone goes off or your text message or a phone call a lot of times you look at it and go "Uh (laughs) uh-oh because somebody's reaching to you for help in the midst of things that's fine that's what we're here for like Christ who's always here to help us in the midst of things too but the news comes and people tell oh King Jehoshaphat did you hear I just come from outside the city walls, and let me tell you, did you hear? You know, the news that we watch today, no wonder why it's almost all negative. It started way back then, right? He didn't even soften the blow. He didn't even walk in and say, oh yeah, hey, King Jehoshaphat, you are looking good today, brother. That robe is your color. Yeah, that looks good on you. It it, it fits your figure really well. He didn't even soften the blow. He just said, hey, just want to let you know, not one, not two, but three armies have decided to come in and take you out and soften the blow at all. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it just happens where you're just doing what you knew to do, being who you need to be, and boom, it happens. In a small illustration, not nearly as heavy as this illustration, but in a small illustration, I'd like to share with you a little story. A couple of years ago, when I was uh, coaching Eli's baseball team, uh, we, were, we were pretty good, we were doing all right, but we were facing a pretty tough team, uh, one of the better teams in the league, and we had actually come out and got ahead of them at the very beginning of the game. We were actually looking pretty good, and for a change, they were not looking so hot. They were not looking so good. And, and uh, they, it was their turn. They got up to bat. We were just ahead of them by a couple of runs. They got up to bat, and one kid hit, and he got on base. And as he was on that first base, the next kid got up, and boom, he hit a, a rocket shot there to about right center field, and you got to know kids' baseball, and Most of the time in that league, when the ball hits the grass in the outfield, you just get ready because it's going to make it all the time, all the way to the fence, and you just start yelling, "Throw it home! Throw it home!" Right? Get it back to the pitcher where the game, where where the the play will stop. And so as you're yelling that, I did not even get, I didn't even see this, but the first baseman, our first baseman, had interference, and he got in the way of the runner. They kind of had a little collision. Both of them ended up in the dirt and that slowed the kid down from first base that would have made it all the way home, would have scored. I think they may would have even tied the game at that time. But not only did it slow that runner down, it kept the one who hit it, it slowed him down and so they stopped on second and third, third and second instead of possibly even both of them coming all the way home. Well, I wasn't going to say anything, because as a coach, I've learned, if the umpire didn't catch it, you keep your mouth shut, all right? Well, bless their hearts, and you can say this, this is a Southern thing, right? Bless their hearts, the umpires were trying, but they were really young kids, and I didn't really know how to handle the game very well. And about that time, which everybody knew that those kids could have made it home, and would have both scored maybe and come and actually come out one ahead on us. Everybody in the stands on that team all of a sudden stood up and they started yelling at the umpire. And one mom in particular who had, a, and it's always the one with the loudest voice. She jumps up and she says a a, a a a word that was as colorful as you could get yeah you all seen the Christmas story yeah that one the da, the F dash 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 word she drops the bomb as big and as loud as anyone could drop it right there in the midst of, of all of that chaos so it was like already chaos, and it was getting worse, and when she drops that, I had a parent on, on my team that didn't take too kindly to that, and so he actually stood up, and he said, hey, could you please not say that language we are with my kid? I'm trying to teach them not to say those things, you know, and she goes, what? Boom, I'm going to drop it again. <laughs> Well, all of a sudden, he, I guess, reverts back, and he goes, yeah, boom, that one. And all of a sudden, it began to just blow up. And, and, and this is why, y'all, I love working with the kids, but you guys, your parents are crazy. Y'all are nuts. The kids, I love on them, but the parents are crazy. Now, I had some really good parents there that day, and it really started, in fact, I thought a fight was going to break out. And so the kids, they're just standing there and they don't know any different. They're just like, they're thinking they're watching WWE. Someone's going to come out here in just a second. And so finally, the, 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 the umpires didn't know what to do either. And so I walked up to the, the home plate umpire and I said, I'm calling the timeout. I'm taking all of my kids to the dugout until we get all this sorted out. I'm just going to take them out of, take them out of that harm's way. We're just going to go there. We're, we're, going to, we're going to sit and rest for a minute while you figure that out. And this, little, this kid umpire, he comes to me and he goes, I don't know what to do, sir. I said, well, here's what you do. You turn around and tell them I'm calling the sheriff right now. You got a cell phone on you, don't you? Yeah. Get your cell phone out and start dialing. If they don't know you if you don't know the number. Just start dialing a number. So he does and things start to kind of get a little bit better. Well, in the midst of all of that, I've got a parent coming to me and she's about to jerk her kid out of the game and take him home. And I'm talking, these are little kids, eight, nine years old, eight years old, I think at the time, she's taking her seven, eight year old kid and she's going to jerk him out and she's going to take him home. And to be honest with you, I said, take me too. (laughs) Can we stop by McDonald's on the way? Not a problem. Well, she comes to me. She says, I'm going to take him home, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I said, well, hold on just a second. I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your kid. You want to take your kid home? That's fine. But I said, I'm very really sorry that this has happened. I said, this is not what we want here in this league and blah, blah, blah. And I said, but let's do something a little different than just taking him, jerking him out and taking him home. She said, well, what can we do? I said, let's pull the kids together and let's teach them how to handle this when it does show up because it will show Up. And if you're going to keep your kid in sports, it will show up again. And if your kid's going to go through life, guess what? It will show up again. And so she looked at me and tears in her eyes. She says, Okay, I'm going to trust you. So we did. We rallied the kids and we taught them how to handle the situation. About 10 minutes went by. We finally got back going again and we lost. Oh, well. But the moral of the story is, is at the end of the season, that mom came to me with a $5 gift card and said, hey, thanks for teaching my kid how to handle all of the stuff that comes to them in life. And you know what? This is really, that story tells you the same, only on a much bigger, much harder scale what Jehoshaphat was going through. He's just trying to lead his people and do the best that he can. And in the midst of doing that, boom, bomb. (laughs) Three of them right there, dropped. How do you handle it when a bomb is dropped right there? How do you handle it whenever you've got to deal with that? How do you, not only you and realizing that other people are watching you too. Every, everybody in here has somebody else watching them. Every single one. And somebody else watching. Maybe their friends. Maybe their family. Whatever. You got somebody watching. Everybody in here is in some form or fashion a leader somewhere. How do you handle that? When the whole world is watching as the bomb is going off. And the whole world is watching. How you handle this? Can I tell you what you do does matter? What you do does matter. How you do it does matter. Why you do it. It does matter. That's why Christ, when He had the entire weight of my sin, we just sang about on His shoulders, pressing Him so much blood was coming out before the cross. That's why He looks and says, My flesh doesn't want to handle this, but Lord, God, Heavenly Father, not my will, but Yours be done. Because if I can handle this, it's going to change the trajectory of the entire world world and aren't you glad he handled it and he's still handling it to this day And we read how king jehoshaphat did seven things we're not going to go through real deeply these seven things i mentioned them last week i just want to touch on them again and then i want to tell you a final story and then we're going to wrap up but number one At verse 3, you probably noticed that Jehoshaphat in this moment, excuse me, Jehoshaphat in this moment did something that started a domino effect that changed not just his life, but everybody's life. And this is where he said, he made a firm, adamant seeking of the Lord his first thing. Where he, The Bible said he set himself. And that's the same look in his eye that your mama has given you before. When you knew you done messed up. Now, I never got that look because I was a perfect, perfect child. Never had that look. Never had a fly swatter waved at me or a belt. There is something still to this day, the sound of pop, 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 pop still makes me cringe all right that's right <laughs> now okay maybe once i might have accidentally messed up a time or two but that same intent burning desire in in his heart said no I know what I'm hearing, and I know I'm hearing the news. I know I'm hearing bad news. I know the bombs just went on. I get all of that, but I'm setting myself that that is not going to be the last thing I hear. That might be the first thing I hear, but it's not going to be the last thing I hear. And the last thing I hear is on what is God got to say about this? You know, that's my big question now in the midst of what we're all, all the mess we're going through now. I, can, I hear what everybody is saying. I get it. I know it. I understand it. I feel the weight of it every day. But I'm not going to base every decision I make just on what I've heard there. I'm going to base it on what I'm hearing God say now. And I will seek Him until He speaks. And that might be a week, it might be a day, it might be 40 days, it might be two years, but I will stay right here and I will seek until He speaks. He set Himself to seek the Lord. That's what that phrase to seek the Lord means. It means, God, what do you have to say about this? God, what are, you, what are you doing in the midst of this? You know that by the by the blood right of Jesus Christ, you also have the right and the authority to hear God's opinion on any single matter you're facing? If I want to get real theological with you, that's called prophecy. That's called being a prophet. And in the... New Testament in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, it fell on them in such a way that it says, and my sons and my daughters prophesied or they spoke the will of God which trumps the will of all of the other mess that's going on in this world. And you have the right and the authority to speak that, not just for your own good, not just so that you can walk around with your nose up in the air, but so that people may know That God is in this. God is in this. You're not by yourself. I know some of us have this picture like, okay, world's in a mess and God's just back there going like this. Them horrible cheering. Right? Or some of us even have a better picture where God is up there with like a lightning bolt and he loves picking out those that are messing up a little bit and zap. Y'all looking at me like he'd never been zapped before. (laughs) And I think it's much deeper than that. I think he's involved. I think he's right here with us, and he's involved. So that no matter whatever it is you're facing, no matter whatever it is you're going through, you have the ability to hear from him. And that can come from different places. Sometimes it comes from another person of God. Sometimes it comes on the radio. God can use whatever He wants to use. He used a donkey, right? That was that was that's how Mr. Ed got. That was before Mr. Ed got started. He talked through a donkey to Balaam. He used a burning bush. He used a dead guy by the name of Lazarus. He'll use whoever, whatever He wants. My question is: Are you listening? are we listening second thing he did is he proclaimed a fast okay now I'm not going to talk on this too much because I'm getting hungry and we're about to go to Popeye's but the truth of the matter is is sometimes you do there must be something in you that says you know what there's more to it than the flesh there's more to it than the flesh And we know that's what a fast is. You put down the things that feed the flesh so that you can pick up and pay real close attention to those things that feed the Spirit. Oh, maybe that's what David is meaning when he says, when I'm walking in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table before me. Then maybe it has nothing to do with toast and jam and has more to do with the bread of life dipped in the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what He is really, really talking about. I know that because Jesus, a few years later, a couple thousand years later, actually says, in a time and a trial and a temptation, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Heavenly Father. So it's in those moments when you're in the valley, it's those moments when you choose, when you choose to lay down things of the flesh and you choose to focus on things that are spirit and life, then all of a sudden you get to gain this strength you didn't know you had. Number three, he prayed. In fact, it wasn't just him. He told everybody, all right, now's the time to pray. Now's the time to pray. Now is the time to pray. If there was a good season and a good time for the church to start hitting its knees and tears to start falling on the altar to say, God, we need You, now is a really good time for that. Okay, Some of you aren't catching it yet. Now is a really good time We're needing direction and we're needing guidance and we're needing strength. And we realize that strength is going to come from no other source other than the Word of God and the Holy Spirit coming together and uniting in us to stir us up to do the will of God, to be the way of God. He prayed. He prayed to be not just leader over a whole country, To say, ah, you ought to do that. Or not just to be a leader over a whole country that says, hey, I have an advisor and he's going to come and pray for us. But to be the leader over a whole country and literally on camera hit his knees and his face before the Lord and say, he's what we need more than anything else. That's what King Jehoshaphat did. And then that caused all of everyone else to start doing it as well. That makes sense? Told you, people are watching you. People are watching you. Number four, he remembered. I love that passage of Scripture where he starts rattling off. God, weren't you this one? (laughs) Weren't you the one that helped before? Weren't you the one that got us out of Egypt? Weren't you the one that opened up the Red Sea? Weren't you the one that fed us in the wilderness? Weren't you the one that gave us water from a rock? Wasn't that you that called us out? He started remembering who God was and what God has done for them. And there's something incredible about that. Not remembering what you have done, but remembering remembering what God has done and who he has been and how he's worked. I love hearing testimonies and I love hearing them because it's a reminder. It just brings up what I already know and it refuels and refires that. Raise your hand if God's ever worked in your life. Wow. Now if you're proud of it, raise your hand real big if God's ever worked in your life. Now everybody look around, look around, look around. You're not alone, you're not alone, you're not alone. Tell that to the enemy for a change. What can the enemy do with that? Nothing, because God's already done it. And what God has done, He'll do it again. Because what He does comes out of who He is. And you remember who He is, you can trust the character of God even in the shadow of death, And that's what death is. It's a shadow. It's a shadow. It's serious, but it is a shadow. It will pass. It will go one way or another. It's a shadow. And when you're in that shadow, that means that there's light somewhere or else there wouldn't be a shadow. Find that light. He remembered. He found the light by remembering who God was. And then He heard. You heard the, the, the prophet prophet spoke up and said, hey, let me tell you what the spirit's saying. Go out and face them. The battle's not yours. Now you can take that prophet and take his name. And that prophet's name actually means beheld by God. So the spirit rose up and said, you're held by God. By the mouth of the one who was held by the hand of God said, you're in God's hands. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're in God's hands. If you need to tell it to yourself, go ahead. I'm in God's hands. Right? Some of you need to learn to encourage yourself. You're in God's hands. Well, they heard that. He heard what God said. He listened. Why? Because he was already in tune to that. He listened. And the next thing he did is he bowed down. Now, that's a big one. That's a big one. To bow down to what God says? How do I know that's big? How many of you have ever had a kid and you told them to do something and they... Don't look at me like you've never had that happen before. I told you. Right? And I say that half-heartedly but wholeheartedly meaning this. How many times has God said, I told you? Right? We're all trying to figure out how to make it through this mess called life when God says, I told you it's all right here in the book. I got it all right there laid out. I I loved you so much I wrote you a letter and a manual on how to handle it. Have you read it lately? Here it is. Here it is. Jehoshaphat bowed himself. It was a symbol of saying, God, okay. When I want to run around crazy and I want to act like everything's gonna the, the whole world's going to be on fire and I'm not going to make it out of this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be still and know that He is God. Right? I'm going to be still and know that He is God. I'm going to bow down. I'm going to say, Your will. Whatever You say, Lord. Whatever You say. I wish I had time to go into how sometimes what He says doesn't always make sense. Because He's talking spiritual things and I'm still stuck in the flesh, right? He bowed down, though. I'm just asking myself. When's the last time I bowed down to the way and the will and the word of God? See, I love to self-justify. you know what I'm talking about. I can take any truth. I can take any principle. I can take lots of things, and I can self-justify it so that I get what I want out of it. But at the end of the day, it's not about self-justification. It's about God-justification. Bow down. Last but not least, He not only bowed down, but He obeyed with praise and worship. He worshiped and He praised as He obeyed. I know some of you may think, well, great. That sounds really good, Pastor. But um, I stumbled somewhere around point three or four or five. Sometimes I'm not really good at doing point seven. Sometimes I get hung up in point one. And this is where I'd have to say, Praise the Lord. Because we have someone who walked through every valley, who walked through every bomb that went off who went through everything and never stumbled one time so that now He can be my shepherd. And I can honestly say because of Him, I shall not want. Because what you do matters. What you do in this valley, what you do in this moment, what you do when the bomb goes off, it does matter. It matters so much that it reminds me of, of um, the butterfly effect. How many of you remember hearing about the butterfly effect? Have you ever heard about that? Ed, a guy by the name of Edward Lorenz, and this is my last story, we're closing. A guy by the name of Edward Lorenz wrote a doctrinal thesis in 1963. And he basically called, summed it up as the butterfly effect. When he wrote that and submitted that, the the, the science communities laughed it out of the place. The gist to that is is that the the butterfly can flap its wings on one side of the world and it begins moving air molecules in such a way that those molecules move other molecules, which move others, which move others, which move others, and then by the time it gets to the other side of the world, it could actually cause a weather pattern. And that's when everybody said, oh, that's just a bunch of hooey, a bunch of folky stuff, funny stuff. We just laugh it out until the 90s. And then in the 90s, they started looking at this, and physics professors started saying, no, wait a minute, maybe... When matter moves, it does cause other things to move. Maybe that there really is something else to this, that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Maybe there is something more to this. Now, I wish this story, the rest of the story, I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't, so I will give credit where credit is due. And I talked briefly about this same gentleman. His name was Andy Andrews who is an author, writes some of my favorite books. And he writes a book called The Butterfly Effect. And he actually has another book called The Lost Choice that I read. And in this, he takes The Butterfly Effect and he puts a spiritual principle on it. And he does so by saying this story that I'm about to share with you. If you want to YouTube, Andy Andrews, The Butterfly Effect. It's a 10 minutes worth of your time, I promise you. But he goes on to say, this butterfly effect really means this, that whatever you do really does affect way more than you could ever imagine. Turn to your neighbor and say, way more. That was weak. Turn to your neighbor and say, way more. The louder you do it, the quicker I'm going to tell this story. Y'all get out of here. Thank you. Maybe I'll do whatever it takes to get something out of you. He starts off by basically talking, by talking about a guy by the name of Norman Borlaug. A guy by the name of Norman Borlaug, who in 2004 was ABC's Person of the Week. I don't know if you remember Peter Jennings, and he used to do something called the Person of the Week. And in 2004, he, I think it was April 2004, Norman Borlaug was his Person of the Week. And they started talking and praising Him up about all the things that He had done and the work that He had done in hybridizing the, the, the corn and the wheat for arid areas and how that work was so important that, that it is possible over the last few years that it was possible that He could have saved over 2 billion people, as with a B, from Famine. And his work was so important that he saved billions of people by hybridizing the corn and the wheat for arid climates. He did a work so great, saving billions, that they named him Person of the Week. <laughs> wow, right? And they talked about how great this was and, and how awesome it was. But I'm just thinking that if you dig into the story a little more, I'm just wondering if he was really the one that saved 2 billion or over 2 billion people, or was it really a guy by the name of Henry Wallace? And Henry Wallace was one of the vice presidents from 1941 to 1945. He was the vice president to President Roosevelt. Formerly, he was the Secretary of Agriculture. And he had decided that it would be a really good thing to set up a station and the sole purpose of that station in Mexico was to do all of the research and the development that was needed to hybridize corn and wheat so that the rest of the world and those that are in famine and if America ever went into an arid climate that we could still have a possibility of surviving that. And as he created that station for that sole purpose, he decided to hire a guy by the name of Norman Borlaug. So one could actually say that it was Henry Wallace that saved those over 2 billion people. Unless you dig a little bit deeper. And if you dig a little bit deeper, you will find out about a man by the name of George Washington Washington. Carver, you know him, the peanut guy, not Mr. Peanut, not the planter's peanut dude, but the the peanut guy who came up with over 266 ways that we could use a peanut. That's awesome because all I know is honey roasted. Right? Squeeze it, get some oil out of it, fry something in it. That's about the only two ways I know. But he came up with over 266 Ways we could use 88 ways of how to use a sweet potato. There's only one way to do a sweet potato that's brown sugar and butter and cinnamon. Amen. All right, he came up with over 88 ways to do that. But what most people don't know about George Washington Carver is that when he was 19 years old, he was at Iowa State University, and one of his professors opened up his lab on Saturdays and Sunday afternoons. And when he opened up his lab on Saturday and Sunday afternoons, he, the professor invited his six-year-old boy to come and work with him and do any botanical experiments and explorations that he wanted to. Well, knowing that this boy could use some help and knowing that he could use his help with, with his boy, he invited a man to come by the name of George Washington Carver and babysit, if you will, this six-year-old boy. And George, he was really good at not just babysitting, but taking this little boy and pointing him in the right direction, showing him how, how things really do work and how there's way more to it than you could really imagine and dig deeper. And he started really pouring heart and soul into this boy and educating this little boy, this six-year-old boy, teaching him that plants have so much to offer. And God has done so much with giving us plants And that six-year-old boy's name was Henry Wallace. So really, you could say George Washington Carver is the one that saved over two billion people. Unless you dig a little deeper. When you dig a little deeper, you'll find a family from Diamond, Missouri, who lived in a slave state, but did not believe in slavery. You find a man who owned that farm, and you you find out his name was Moses. His wife's name was Susan. And everything was going well. They had a lot of hired hands. Everything was going well until the war broke out. And some people by the name of the Quantrells Raiders, who did a lot of guerrilla warfare. If you've ever heard of the Bushwhackers, they were part of the original Bushwhackers that would go through for the Confederacy and find all of the people who didn't believe in slavery and try to run up and even end their life. So one January night, complete with bags over their heads and eye holes cut out and torches and, and guns, they rode through Moses and Susan's farm destroying everything they could, every crop that they could, destroying everything, going to what barns they had and burning them down and seeing the people scatter, shooting them dead right there, except for one lady whose name was Mary. And Mary was holding an infant baby boy and would not let go of that no matter how much she was threatened. So they knocked her over the head, drove her over the horse, took both her and the boy and rode off. Well, this upset Moses and Susan so greatly because Susan was really close with this lady by the name of Mary Washington. She was really close with her. She said, Moses, we've got to do something. We just can't let this happen. We have to do something. Let's pray about it. Let's work. Let's do something. So sure enough, they went and searched and worked and prayed and did everything that they could. And two days later found these same raiders a few hours north of where they were the other night. So two days later... Moses makes an arrangement that he would give up his last horse. Happened to be a black horse, which is what they were looking for. He gave up his last horse to get Mary and the infant son back. So he rode for several hours north into Kansas and met them at a crossroads. And there, still with their their torches and their pitchforks and their guns and their knives and swords and all of that, stood right there face to face with them. And he handed them the horse in hopes that they would keep their word. Well, as he handed the horse over, one of the main guys holds up a limp burlap sack and just tosses it to him, Moses. Moses catches that burlap sack and falls to the ground with it. And on a cold January night, he rips that sack open as he hears hoof prints go off to the distance. In the middle of the night, he's got hardly nothing there, rips open that sack, and he feels around and finds the body of a cold, naked infant baby boy. And he pulls that baby boy out of that sack and he, he unbuttons his coat and his shirt and he shoves it in real close to his chest against his skin. And he begins massaging it and rubbing it and praying over it. And he says, God, if you would just, do, just, just help me in this moment. Just just help me here at this time. If, if God, just, just let this baby live. I promise I will do whatever I can to raise this boy as my own. I will, I will feed him, we'll take care of him, we'll, whatever. And so he walked all the way back home massaging and praying for this baby boy. walks into the house Susan meets him grabs the baby boy and before the fireplace they begin massaging and praying over this baby boy promising that if God would move they would raise him as their own in fact they gave him their last name Carver George Washington Carver was kept alive by the grace of God and by the willingness of somebody to do something. Somebody realizing that you really do have the power to do something in some bad times. And God has given you that power. So really, you could really say that the the, the person of the week was really Moses Carver. He said over two billion people do the acts that he did. Unless No I'm just kidding. But the point being is that we could go back and go back and go back and see all of those who went before us and what they have done and how it's led us to this point. You can go all the way back to the cross of Jesus Christ and realize that that one moment changed everything. And then you also, I want you to realize is that this moment right now and the moment you have tomorrow, that you could do something that would change people you have no idea That you could in one act, in one act of faithfulness, in one moment of saying, God, I want to do it your way and not my way. That that effect would ripple for longer than you would be alive here on this earth. And what you do while you're in the valley does matter. Would you stand with me? And if I meet Andy Andrews, I'll give him a high five and I'll tell him thank you for letting me borrow his story. It does matter. It's so easy just to say, yeah, whatever, just don't care anymore. And I understand why people would do that. But it is in that moment you'd say, what's the use? That's when Jesus steps in and says... You're not alone. I'm here to carry you when you can't carry yourself. When you've made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision and you feel like it's just going from bad to worse and you don't know what else to do, you can be grateful about the one decision Jesus Christ made when He says, not my will, but thine be done. Instead of some worship music right now I want you to be the worship music I want you to be the instrument of praise and this is why I'm gonna have every one of you come up and sing no I'm just kidding I just want you to be an instrument of praise right now so can we for the next 15-20 seconds can we open up our heart and our mouth and say thank you Lord for all that you've done for me would you do that with me father God thank you Thank You for what You've done in my life. Like King Jehoshaphat, I remember the fact that You were so faithful, even in times that I was not faithful. Thank You, Lord, for all of the things You've done. Thank You for the direction You've given. Thank You for times You raised me up when I couldn't get up myself. Thank You for giving me strength and breath. Thank You for a grace that covers me exponentially. Thank You, Lord, for for a worship that rises up inside of me to help me see You for who You really are. Thank You, Lord, for loving us the way that You do. Thank You, Lord, for being faithful time and time and time and time and time again. Thank You for Your mercy that never fails. Thank You for a love that never gives up. Thank You, Lord, for all that You've done. Thank You for who You are. You are so good. And I thank You for it, Lord. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that is struggling, Lord, I can still say thank You because You know how to handle us when we struggle. And I pray, Lord, that You do Your best work in them even now. Lord, work in them. I trust You. I love you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Turn to somebody and say, I'm Glad you were here today.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor John. And again, And we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.